had a little boy come, you know, running across the ridge, uh, the river ridge there where we're camped out in the bed. This is the voice of Anushka Azadi. But he was running across the top there in the river and, and he was just so happy to see us. He yelled down and said, hey, are you guys the ones saving the salmon? She is one in a small camp near Kamloops of Sipquemic people protesting the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Yeah, we are. And he said, oh, you got any salmon down there now, like to eat? You know, you got any salmon there now? We said, no, but we will later. (laughs) Hey, I'm Laura Smith, and welcome to the first episode of the Martlet Pod, a bi-weekly podcast covering some of the most important news stories from the latest issue of UVic's student-run newspaper. Produced here, on the traditional territory of the Lukungan and Wasainich people in Victoria, B.C. Also on this episode... Victoria City Council passes a motion to make Get Growing an urban farming program permanent. I think that municipalities have an important role in helping to ensure that we're enhancing local food systems. Conversations on housing in Victoria continue, as Saanich legalizes garden suites, and Oak Bay is set to discuss the legalization of secondary suites. We're in a housing crisis right now, so uh, we need to be uh, diversifying our housing market. We need to be uh, finding new forms of housing. We need to be doing everything that we can. And UVic's University Centre is being renamed the Jamie Castles Centre in honour of retiring president Jamie Castles. And in, in saying this, I, I mean no disrespect to President Castles as a person and as a leader. Instead, I'm just frustrated with the systemic challenges that continue elevating the same voices. I had a chat with senior staff writer at the Martlet, Boston Lafferty, on the Sepwemic land defenders against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion in Kamloops. Tanche, Boston Lafferty Dishnakashon, Nikas Chitamon Animacha Fuyan. I'm a Metis student here at UVic. Uh, my name is Boston Lafferty. I have been writing for the Martlet for only since September as a senior staff writer, but for the last about a year and a bit for the NSU as the communications counselor. So yeah, today we are talking about your piece on um, a protest against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. So first, can you just walk us through the current situation there right now? Yeah, so unfortunately, actually, I saw a couple days ago, they had to break camp. So the camp was taken down on October 19th. Um, They didn't really specify in any of their following posts why, but on October 17th, there were five arrests made uh, at the gates of the TMX camp there. Uh, One person was released and four others have to appear in court in January for violating the 2018 injunction. So, yeah, so right now the camp is, you know, has been taken down. There are still plans to you know, conduct ceremony and have gatherings there in order to oppose the the project. Right. And I want to loop back to that 2018 injunction because that's a huge part of this. But first, um, I think like Trans Mountain is like one of those names we've been hearing, especially in British Columbia, for what seems like a very long time to kind of the average news listener, but maybe haven't spent the time to really dive into it. Could you just give us like a high level look at really what this whole project is and what people have been bringing up as issues? Yeah, so basically, a common misconception I've heard a lot about the 
the TMX mm -hmm. project, is that it's a replacement of a, an existing pipeline for, for safety reasons. While there is a pipe existing, it's not a replacement at all. It's actually, it is, it is an expansion. Um, it says on the TMX website, actually, that the, they hope that at the end of the project, they will go from transporting approximately 300,000 barrels of oil per day to 890,000 barrels per day. Wow. So really, yeah, there is this misconception that it is a replacement, but it's, it's a whole expansion project mm. of a, of an existing pipeline. Yeah. And what are some of the specific reasons for the camp at this location? So it's um, based out of what's now called Kamloops. Um, however, of course, the pipeline is many places. Are there any reasons why the camp has been set up here? Yeah, so they set it up on the side of the Thompson River opposite from the TMX work mm -hmm. camp because uh, the workers were actually gearing up to pull pipe underneath the Thompson. So you know, that comes with having to dig on either side in order to get the pipe through. So the Sequetmik land defenders set up a ceremonial fire in a small camp on the opposite side so that mm -hmm. TMX wasn't able to complete the, the digging under the river. Right. And I think that kind of relates to, yeah, this 2018 injunction. Um, could you just give a quick recap of that, what that is? Yeah. So basically the, the 2018 injunction, uh, the the main part of it and why all of the arrests were made recently. Um, the main clause is that it rules against any physical obstruction of TMX work sites or locations. So because these land defenders were conducting ceremony and were in front of the gates of the camp, you know, technically they were violating the, the 2018 court injunction. Right. And of course, another kind of big factor right now is COVID-19, because that's what aspect of life hasn't been affected by that. Um, yes. Have you heard anything? Has like this pandemic kind of played into it on either side, like slowing down the project or affecting uh, resistance to it? Yeah, honestly, I, I feel like COVID, uh, not just with this specific project mm -hmm. and the opposition, but, you know, kind of across or throughout Canada. COVID did put a big lull in any sort of resistance, but I think with everything reopening and projects starting to restart, I think there will, there, I mean, there is, uh, you know, the beginning of uh, a lot of resistance now, mm -hmm. you know, COVID really put it in a lull and now it's, it's having to start up again because it's, it's reaching, you know, critical levels of urgency that people actually gather and stand up. Something that we've been wanting to do for some time. Oh. And uh, and we just sort of needed like the, the impetus and the go ahead from our aunties to say, yeah, I think you guys should just be here. Oh, okay. So so it's just a matter of sort of like get, gathering energy and consent from our own nation to do what we're doing. And, uh, and we're doing it right now too, because it's basically crunch time now, like they're I can, I'm looking at the construction site right now, just on the side of the river here, right? And, right? and they're just getting ready to drill under the river and no one else is doing anything to stop it. So, so it's go time for us. Now, this camp was not the first to oppose the expansion of the pipeline. Another Sequemic camp has been maintained outside Blue River, BC since 2018. This camp also protests TMX's plan to drill under the Thompson River, the largest tributary of the Fraser River. 
and this definitely isn't the first time TMX has come into conflict with an indigenous group. The TMX project was initially approved by the Canadian federal government, then denied by the Federal Court of Appeal under a couple of flaws, but with lackluster indigenous consultation being a big one. Then, and this is quoting from the Government in Canada's website, on October 3, 2018, the government relaunched its consultations with Indigenous groups potentially impacted by the project, before reapproval in June 2018. From what I could find online, um, it, it seems as if they, you know, they reached out, they heard a lot of the concerns, they put them in reports, and then nothing really came. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, you could define that as consultation, like, what are your concerns? But, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't really given the Squetmica a chance to say no. Um, it's funny, actually, I was looking at the, the TMX website talking about this, this project. Mm -hmm. And um, on the website, it claims that there has been Indigenous consultation since 2012. Uh, and, you know, Indigenous is like hyperlinked. But when I clicked on it, uh, all it did was bring me to a website that said error, for, error 404, we can't find what you're looking for. So, you know, like consultation, I think the Canadian government defines very loosely as, you know, we're letting you know that this is happening. You can tell us your concerns. But, you know, what, what actually comes of that is, you know, <laughs> it's not certain. Yeah, and like outside of government, though, has the response to um, the camp and acts of resistance been fairly positive? Well, when I spoke to the member of the camp on the phone, they, you know, let me know that the, the greater community outside of obvious TMX and RCMP, the community members were completely on board. There, there wasn't any real tension between the Squetmic and the non-Indigenous residents of mm -hmm. Kamloops. Um, you know, and she tells a story, or she told me a story uh, about a little boy from the community coming and asking, you know, if they have salmon and if they're the ones saving the salmon. So the, the community response has been really positive. It's mm -hmm. just... TMX and RCMP response that has been the negative. Yeah. And I know one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, oh, what what are your ideas for the next few weeks? Or like, where where do you think this will lead? But I mean, with the camp being taken down, do you think um, like another camp will pop up? Or do you think more support will pour in for this area, this community? Well, I was looking at the Facebook page for the camp, um, We the Squetmic. Uh, and there is actually a lot of gatherings and a lot of, you know, they are, they're having a ceremonial fire, I think, this coming Friday, and they're going to have a women's gathering. So there are other things that are happening to oppose the project. It's just not, you know, a physical camp mm -hmm. constantly maintained. In general, like the, the pipeline itself has no consent to do anything it's doing in this nation. And uh, and we've been making that very clear and, and doing different actions and demonstrations and gatherings to talk about what's happening and to gather the people up. And, and now, yeah, now we just don't have a choice. We have to be here because they won't stop. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the BC DRIPA for a second, yeah. the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous mm -hmm. Peoples Act. So... The BC government passed this act in 2019, which essentially, 
you know, integrated UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, into the law of British Columbia. Since 2019, since they passed the laws, a lot of the things that have been happening on Sukhwetmikulu and in Wet'suwet'en territory have went really against this new legislation that they introduced. Um, I have a couple articles here, if mm-hmm. I can read them off, yeah, that, that I thought, you know, this, you know, the action of the RCMP arresting land defenders really went against this this new legislation. So, uh, and I only have a few. I'm sure there's more, but <laughs> so in uh, DRIPA Article 8.2b, it says. States shall provide effective mechanisms for prevention of and redress for any action which has the aim or effect of dispossessing them of their lands, territories, or resources. Article 10 says, Indigenous peoples shall not be forcibly removed from their lands or territories. No relocation shall take place without the free, prior, and informed consent of the Indigenous peoples concerned and after agreement on just and fair compensation, sorry, and where possible with the option of return. Uh, Article 25 says, Indigenous peoples have the right to maintain and strengthen their distinctive spiritual relationship with their traditionally owned or otherwise occupied and used lands, territories, waters, and coastal seas, and other resources, and to uphold their responsibilities to future generations in this regard. So, you know, when we see the RCMP taking Indigenous people from their own territory, you know, arresting them and taking them off to be held in cells for hours on end, that is, to me at least, I'm not sure, but it seems as if it's a really big violation of, you know, this, this, I think I saw a, a news article that called it reconciliation legislation. Mm. You know, it really violates that. So I just wanted to add that because, you know, BC is, you know, presenting themselves as this champion of reconciliation and this champion of Indigenous rights when you know, factually, everything that they're doing goes against the laws that they're putting in place. Mm -hmm. Is there anywhere you'd like to point people if they are wanting a little bit more information on this? Uh, Just about the TMX camp? Yeah, or anything that you think would be relevant? Well, I would say, you know, go to the Facebook. It is called We the Sequetmic virtual unity camp to stop Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, They have had a lot of updates, obviously, with everything that's been going on with the camp. Mm -hmm. And now they have a lot of the updates on what is happening after the camp has been taken down. Um, I know the Wet'suwet'en Checkpoint Instagram, you know, obviously reposts a lot of the things going on around Canada with, you know, the Mi'kmaq, and the Algonquin hunters mm-hmm. trying to stop moose hunting. But I think I had seen a few things on there about this specific demonstration, if you're looking for information. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you. We'll be back after this short break.
Now let's take a look at some local news from around the Greater Victoria area. And first, going to affordable housing, always a contentious topic, but it's been especially popular in both Saanich and Oak Bay for the last little bit. As of fall 2019, the vacancy rate in Greater Victoria was 1.2%. And on top of that, Oak Bay has seen a 36% increase of rental prices from 2010 to 2018. So there's definitely a problem here, and I think most Victorians can agree. Seeing that a significant portion of Greater Victoria's population is made up of students, it's no surprise that these students are some of the loudest voices talking about this issue. To combat this, Saanich Council has recently voted to legalize garden suites, a move encouraged by Councillor Ned Taylor. Yeah, well, this is something that uh, has been, uh, that Saanich has been exploring for a number of years now. I, I call, I put Garden suites, legalizing garden suites was something that was in my election platform when I first ran for council, the 2017 Saanich Council by-election. And around that time, uh, Saanich finally decided to uh, begin exploring this new form of housing, and, and uh, a study was launched to uh, consult the community and to explore options. The hope is that these long-term rental options will diversify the market and give some more options to renters. Also very relevant is Oak Bay Council's discussion of the legalization of secondary suites. Secondary suites are defined as a self-contained dwelling unit within a single detached dwelling with its own entrance, kitchen, and bathroom. In Oak Bay, the current amount of unrelated tenants in a suite caps out at three. So, legalizing these secondary suites could have a huge increase of housing opportunities. This area is particularly important to students who, while they might find the location appealing, the prices are a lot less so. And basically, what I've been hearing from students is that they would like to live in Oak Bay. That's UVSS Director of Campaigns and Community Relations, Emily Lowen. Has great, like, close proximity to campus, but they're simply priced out of the region. Um, I actually found out that uh, Oak Bay is the eighth most expensive place to rent an apartment throughout the country. Oh, wow. Um, up there with, like, Toronto, a great first step is regulating secondary suites in Oak Bay. Because it would just allow students to have that like smaller, sort of cheaper accommodation that's um, close to campus. The University of Victoria's Student Society has been lobbying for this change, and they continue to gather letters of support from UVic students and faculty. It is sort of uh, favorable that the mayor of Oak Bay, uh, Kevin Murdoch, was actually elected on a platform of um, affordable housing. He promised to, to re-evaluate these bylaws, like secondary suites, um, increase the overall supply of housing in Oak Bay. Another change from one of the region's council comes from Victoria City Council who, on October 1st, passed a motion to make Get Growing an urban farming program permanent. Get Growing Victoria was born out of the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. This is City Councillor and co-founder of the program, Jeremy Loveday. We were hearing from many residents about concerns about food insecurity on Vancouver Island. I I think uh, being on an island... uh, there's already heightened concerns about food insecurity uh, here, uh, more than in some other locations in Canada, um, and uh, at least in cities. And we we are 
already have a community that is interested in in gardening, and uh, I think every year the increase in growing food within the urban setting and also support for for local farmers is increasing. Mm-hmm. So I think the the stage was set uh, essentially for us to be able to bring in a program like Get Growing Victoria and have uh, immediate support. Past initiatives of this program included the distribution of seedlings, mulch, and instructional videos to communities facing food security concerns. Since launching in April 2020, the program has distributed over 80,000 seedlings around Victoria. Get Growing Victoria um, saw the beginning of growing food uh, actually on city property. So we uh, reutilized some of the space in our city greenhouses uh, to grow food starters. And yeah, dozens of community organizations uh, who helped distribute those seedlings to uh, residents who may not uh, have otherwise had the opportunity to get those seedlings Mm -hmm. to support their ability to grow the seedlings successfully as many of these people were, were new to the idea of growing their own food. At the university itself, lots of change is taking place right now, as former university president Jamie Castles retires after 40 years at the school. His spot will be taken by Kevin Hall. Before coming president as a law professor, Castles received numerous awards, including a Canadian Association of Law Teachers Award and Canada's highest award for post-secondary teaching, the 3M National Teaching Fellowship. He also helped create initiatives in the field of Indigenous law, such as the creation of the Joint Law Program, Indigenous Legal Orders, and Canadian Common Law. In honour of the past president, UVic's University Centre is being renamed the Jamie Castle Centre. This is a building home to student pass information, food services, admin offices, and much more. It has also been the site of many protests, such as the January 2020 Divest UVic protest, that disrupted a Board of Governors meeting which was passing a sustainable investment policy that fell short of full divestment. The university has $70 million invested in the fossil fuel industry. The renaming of this building has highlighted concerns over the diversity of building names and UVic leadership more generally. UVSS Director of Outreach and University Relations, Serena de Haveland, had this statement. So the university has also had buildings named for former presidents, all of whom were presumably white men, um, like David Turpin, David Strong, Howard, uh, Farquhar, Wallace, and then Harry Hickman. Um, And and Castles has been a faculty member at UVic for about 40 years and has served in senior leadership roles for more than half the time. So I do understand the new building name, the the Jimmy Castles Center, Um, and how it's meant to recognize the contribution and long service to the university. However, the UVic campus is turning into a tribute to the white men in charge of UVic's operations on stolen Lekwungen land with a campus that they proudly claim to be diverse. And in in saying this, I, I mean no disrespect to President Castles as a person and as a leader. Instead, I'm just frustrated with the systemic challenges that continue elevating the same voices. 
some professors and students have been calling for the university to decolonize the building names on campus and rename the buildings to align with significant Lacanian values. From my perspective, by renaming the university center, the Jamie Castle Center, the university is saying that they are committed to the status quo. Skip Sam, who recently passed away, was an indigenous leader of the Sartlet Nation who worked closely with the university. He and May Sam opened their home to students, worked with our professors, gave territorial acknowledgement, um, acknowledgements at significant UVic events, like our first year welcome ceremonies, and we should be honoring our indigenous leaders on their lands rather than having another settler immortalized on our buildings. Additionally, the very building that was formerly known as the University Center was the location of several direct protests against Castle's greenwashing responsible investment policy and failure to push the UVic Foundation to divest their over $70 million invested in the fossil fuel industry. Students and faculty have been pushing for divestment for Jamie Castle's entire term as president, and Castle's did not respond with meaningful action. The pattern of white men serving as presidents at UVic will of course continue with Dr. Kevin Hall, though I'm hopeful that Dr. Hall will prioritize reconciliation on our campus and take real action on climate change. Well, that's the news for this issue. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Martlets podcast. If you want more information on the stories I touched on here, or to read even more stories from this issue and issues past, visit www.martlet.ca. This podcast is produced in the studios of CFUV 101.9 FM. Visit their website at cfuv.ca. I'm Laura Smith.